You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Today, we are going to continue our series on um, Advent, our Advent series called Honest Advent. This is part three of a four-part series. Um, And so uh, hopefully you've listened to part one and part two. In part one, we talked about the vulnerability of God and and the invitation for us to be vulnerable. Um, Last week, we talked about love. Um, And today we're going to talk about um, this idea of ordinariness, ordinariness, um, or the theology of the ordinary in some ways in regards to Advent. Um, And I think that we all have some assumptions uh, when it comes to the Christmas season. Matter of fact, I believe that we have a problem uh, with Hallmark, I call it Hallmark theology or Christmas card theology. I mean, what do I mean by that? We have these extra biblical assumptions about the birth of Christ and the season of Christmas in general. And these extra biblical assumptions that we hold actually hold consequences. We may think that they're not that big of a deal, but in reality, they hold some consequences. I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. In the book that we've been reading, Honest Advent, this whole series is based off of Scott Erickson's book, Honest Advent, and we've been reading it daily. Uh, hopefully you've had the opportunity to do that as a daily devotional through the Advent season. But chapter 11 was just this last week uh, uh, in, in the book, chapter 11. It's, it's titled Assumptions. And Scott begins to list many assumptions that we tend to hold in regards to the Advent or Christmas season. Some of those assumptions are this, that Mary rode to Bethlehem on the back of a donkey, uh, or that there was an innkeeper, that there was some sort of hotel in Bethlehem or some sort of inn, like Holiday Inn, we'll keep the lights on for you, Um, Holiday Inn, and that there was an innkeeper that rejected uh, Mary and Joseph and and, uh, in that situation, that there were uh, three wise men or three magi that came um, to visit Jesus when he was born, Um, that there was this star of Bethlehem that, uh, that appeared over Jesus in the manger when he was born, or this idea that Jesus was actually born in some sort of a stable. There was no room at the Holiday Inn uh, of Bethlehem, and so the innkeeper said, you can't stay here, and so they found some sort of stable barn out in the wilderness, a cold, drafty um, barn, and Jesus was born among the animals in a stable. These are assumptions that we have. I call them Hallmark theology or Christmas card theology assumptions, meaning that we've gathered these ideas from movies that we've watched, Christmas cards that we looked at, uh, plays that churches have put on that depict the story of Jesus' birth in this way. The problem is none of these things I just mentioned are actually in the Bible. These aren't real ideas that happened in Jesus' birth, and including our songs. A lot of times our songs that we sing carry these sort of assumptions as well. For instance, uh, you all know the song, uh, Away in a Major, Away in a Manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head, right? So we know that song. Well, the third stanza of Away in a Manger says this, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby awakes, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Has anybody who's ever been around a baby seen a baby that does not 
ever cry. That's just not true. Like Jesus was a baby and therefore Jesus did indeed cry. And again, I'm telling you, these assumptions that we have based off of these songs and this hallmark theology, the assumptions that we make, they have consequences to how we uh, think about Advent and the birth of Jesus and how it impacts our relationship with God right now. Or how about the song, very, very popular song, Mary Did You Know? Now, I don't want to go into this, but the entire song is a farce. Like the entire premise of the song, the chorus, Mary Did You Know? Every bit of the song is a farce because yes, yes, Mary did know. Why? We know that Mary knows by reading her own song that she that she sang to the Lord called the Magnificat. It's found in Luke chapter 1. You can go back and read it. But in the Magnificat, Mary lines out in her song of worship to God about the coming of Jesus that she did know who Jesus was going to be, that he was going to be a deliverer for all of mankind. So yes, Mary did know so we can actually stop playing that song. Sorry if you like that song, no offense, but it just isn't true. Uh, Scott Erickson in his book says this though, in chapter 11, he says this, our assumptions hinder our spiritual journey in all kinds of ways. And the antidote to assumption is surprise. The antidote to assumption is surprise. So let's talk about that this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter two. I'm going to read. This is the this is the biggest account that we have on the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter two, verses one through seven. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to read it for you right here. It says this: In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, um, his his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swelling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So I want to talk about two things that are two areas where we make assumptions here. And the first area is this, that I think that when we read uh, the scripture of Jesus's birth because of tradition because of the Christmas cards that we get, because of the plays in our um, churches, because of the Hallmark movies maybe that we see, we hold on to some ideas and we assume that the incarnation is all about being extraordinary. Jesus coming, which is what the incarnation is, right? Jesus putting on flesh or Jesus in the flesh is an extraordinary event. And I would say this, that the surprise of the incarnation is not found in the extraordinariness of it, but rather in the ordinariness of the incarnation. Now, was the incarnation extraordinary? Absolutely. Yes. But I would posit that it's not extraordinary in the ways that we often convey it to be extraordinary. 
It's extraordinary that God would condescend and incarnate, that God would leave his throne in heaven and come down and put on flesh to become one of us. That's extraordinary for sure. It's extraordinary when we think about the Immaculate Conception, how Mary became pregnant with Jesus. Yes, if we believe in the virgin birth, as I do, then that is obviously extraordinary. Yes. Um, but most of the story of the incarnation, and when I'm speaking about the incarnation here, I'm, regard, I'm talking specifically about the birth of Jesus, like the, 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 the reality of him actually the moment when he puts on flesh, right? Um, so most of this incarnation is actually rather ordinary. And I think that the surprise of the incarnation is not the extraordinariness of it. It's rather the ordinariness of it. See, I think if we're not careful, we can over-deify Jesus's humanity. Now, I believe in hypostatic union is simply a big theological term that means that, means that Jesus was at the same time 100% man and 100% God. How do we understand this? We really can't. It's a mystery. There are things about God that are mysterious. This would be one. But when we over-deify Jesus' humanity, we say that he was definitely divinity. But I'm not so sure that he actually put on flesh. I'm not so sure that he was actually 100% human, that he felt the things that we felt, that he went through the things that we went through. And that would be contrary to what Scripture teaches. So we have to be careful that we don't make such a big deal out of the incarnation that it is so extraordinary that now we eliminate or reduce the humanity of Jesus. In doing so, we make less of Jesus' humanity, end up with a high priest, which is the Bible says that Jesus is our new and final high priest, a high priest who doesn't really understand our predicament, who doesn't really understand our humanity because he himself was never actually human. That is problematic when it comes to the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins, when it comes to the fact that he is now a high priest, that he has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Those sort of theological positions that we hold are all in jeopardy if Jesus wasn't actually human, if he didn't actually um, become one of us incarnate as the scriptures say that he did. So think about it. The ordinariness of Jesus showing up, Mary in her third trimester. Now, again, let's not over-deify these things. Let's not over-spiritualize Mary. Mary's in her third trimester. This means that Mary is tired. This means that Mary is very uncomfortable. Imagine a woman in the ninth month, eighth month, ninth month of her pregnancy. Her belly is showing beyond um, understanding and reading. You're just like, oh my gosh, this is just an amazing miracle that is happening here. But she at this moment is pretty much over it. Like, get this baby out of my belly. She's uncomfortable. She's tired. And now she is traveling with Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is about 90 miles. And more than likely, she's traveling with Joseph on foot. There's no indication in scripture that they are riding on a donkey or even have a beast of burden with them. So more than likely, she's traveling on foot with Joseph 90 miles 
to Bethlehem from Nazareth in the in the third trimester and the ninth month, more than likely, of her pregnancy. All of this simply to register in Joseph's hometown so that they can get on the list to pay taxes. Does it get any more ordinary than this? Joseph gets into Bethlehem, and more than likely, Joseph uh, seeks out a relative's home, extended family, because Bethlehem is Joseph's hometown. He's from the lineage of David, and Bethlehem is the city of David, and this would be Joseph's hometown. More than likely, he has extended family in Bethlehem, and he goes looking for a place to stay and lodge as they are there in town. As they find a family that they can stay with, there is a predicament, and the predicament is this that there is no room in the inn. Now that word inn has been uh, has been debated over time, but the best understanding of this word inn is not what we understand it to be in our American mentalities of the holiday inn or a motel, hotel sort of idea. The way that this would be understood in the first century is this is simply a guest room in the home of a relative, that most homes had a main living area, and then they had a guest room off the back if people would come, that they would be able to stay in the guest room. And it appears as if, as Joseph gets into town to register for taxes, other family members have also come to Bethlehem to register, and they have gotten there before Joseph and Mary, and therefore they are occupying the guest room of the house of the relative of Joseph. So therefore, Joseph and Mary have to now stay in the house of their relative, but in the main living space of the house of the relative, a space where in a lot of cases, the animals would come in and stay in this area for the night in the evenings along with the family. This was standard practice of a first century home. And so Mary and Joseph get no privacy. They settle into the main residency with the family close by. And then what happens? Well, it was time for Mary to give birth. So we have contractions. We have pain. We have the agonizing push, right? Anybody ever been around someone getting ready or in the middle of having birth? There's a lot to that moment, a lot of real, raw emotions in that moment. And this is what Mary and Joseph are going through in Bethlehem with family nearby. And what happens? Jesus is born. He takes his first breath. He cries. They cut the umbilical cord. It is messy. It is human. Why? Because Jesus comes as Emmanuel, God with us, God present. So we have to be careful that we don't assume the extraordinary in every aspect of Jesus' life. Matter of fact, the surprise of the incarnation is not the extraordinary moments of Jesus' birth. The surprise of the incarnation is how ordinary Jesus' birth was. And why does this matter? You might ask, why does this even matter? Well, it matters because these assumptions have consequences. 
And if we assume that it's all about the extraordinary and that there isn't really anything ordinary to Jesus' life, then we probably assume then that this idea of God with us isn't really about God being with us in our ordinariness. It really isn't about God showing up in our average middle class, middle American, lower class, whatever sort of lifestyle that we live. No, God is concerned with extraordinary moments, not with ordinary moments. And those assumptions are not true. Rich Belotus in his book, The Deeply Formed Life, said this, too often we assume God's absence. And that's the second part that I want to talk about in regards to the incarnation, the assumptions that we have about the incarnation. First, we too often assume that it's extraordinary when indeed the surprise of the incarnation is how ordinary it is. And then oftentimes we assume right here, right now in our lives that God is absent. We assume absence. But the reality is And the question is, why do we assume God's absence? I mean, I do it. You probably do it. There are oftentimes we feel like maybe God is silent. Is God really concerned with my life? Is God really present in it while I'm folding laundry or doing dishes? Is God really present as I go to work or nine to five job or an overnight job or whatever those things? Is God really present as I walk my dogs? Is God really present as I do the, the, you know, change my child's diaper and, and these sort of things? Is God present in these moments? Oftentimes we assume that God is absent in all of these moments. This is the problem with assuming the extraordinary. We default to God only being present, only being accessible in extraordinary moments or extraordinary spaces. That I have to go to a specific building and there has to be a specific music and there has to be a way in which things happen in order for God's presence to show up. In order for God to actually be present, I need extraordinary moments. I need extraordinary places. And this is not true. As the incarnation declares that Jesus is Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. And so Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, without pretense, without pomp. Jesus is born among family like every other first century child in the ordinary presence of God. Now, God could have made a spectacle of his saving arrival. And if I'm being honest, I probably would have. Like if I was God and I was coming to save the world... I think I would have done it differently. Why? Because I'm a flawed human. That's why. I mean, I would have like lit up the sky, shook the earth, made things stand still, got everybody's attention in all of the world, all of humanity. Listen up, sound some trumpets, let angels come down, maybe some fire, lightning, smoke, get the lighting guys on it. Like, let's make this spectacular. And as Jesus is coming out of heaven, just jacked, ripped, I mean, just bulging with muscles, flowing hair, like the biggest sword you've ever seen, riding on a horse, making declarations to everybody like, here comes your savior. I would have made it a big deal. But what's crazy is God didn't do that. In fact, God intentionally downplayed the incarnation. 
declaring to us in this intentional downplaying of the incarnation. He it declares to us that he was present not just for the rich, not just for the powerful. Actually, that he was present, present for the poor, that he was present for the marginalized, that he was present for the ordinary. I mean, think about how the story goes on. Who are the first ones that are told that there has been a savior who's been born? Shepherds. Shepherds, just David shepherds out tending to their flocks at night, just average, ordinary, not to rabbis, not to the kings, not to the queens, not to the wealthy and the powerful, to the shepherds out keeping their sheep, to the ordinary people of the community. God intentionally downplays the incarnation, because in downplaying the incarnation, he's declaring to us that he is present for the poor. He's present for the marginalized. That God is accessible for all of humanity. That he's not a rich man's God. But yet he is an every man's God. Every woman's God. That every person has access to the presence of Emmanuel, God with us through the, the ordinariness of Jesus' incarnation. Mary knew this. The mother of Jesus, she was fully aware of this idea. In the middle of her song, known as the Magnificat, again, you can go read it, it's in Luke chapter 1. In the middle of her song, known as the Magnificat, she sings this. She sings, God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he was sent away empty. What is Mary saying? Mary is declaring prophetically even in this song that God isn't coming for the mighty, for those who are enthroned. That God isn't coming for the rich and the wealthy. No, God is coming for the humble, the lowly. God is coming for those who are hungry, who are broken, who are in need of a savior, in need of someone to come alongside their brokenness and be present in the midst of it. And Mary declares that this is who she is carrying, this Savior, this God, this Jesus, this Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one that will come and and stand alongside, be with the most broken and marginalized among us. Let us not assume that the incarnation was intended to be Extraordinary. It was intended to be ordinary so that we could understand that God is ever present with us in our ordinariness. That it does not require us to be extremely spiritual, super spiritual people who do specific things that then afford us access to the presence of God. No, Jesus shows up in the most simple, ordinary of ways to declare to us that He is accessible, that He is present, that He is available to you and me. As we reflect on Advent, let us reflect on the fact that God is ever-present in our ordinariness. Let that resonate in your heart. God is with you. God is present. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence. 
We thank you that the ordinariness of the incarnation declares to us that there is no need for us to do spectacular things to gain access to your presence, but that your presence is available to us even in the simplest of moments. You are God with us. May we rest in that. May we lean into that presence that you avail to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before you go, let me pray this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.